Welcome to Stroke of Insight, where we feature real people, real stories, sharing their stroke of insight. Today, we feature Nicole Bush from Central Illinois. Nicole and I met during the Mended Hearts National Capitol Hill Advocacy Day, where we advocated on behalf of the Carroll Act and the Newborn Screening Saves Lives Reauthorization Act. She shares her story of being a stroke survivor, diagnosed with congenital heart disease, and the chronic issues she continues to have as she looks to obtain what optimal health is for her situation. Nicole also shares exclusively with us her inability to carry children due to her diagnosis, what the acceptance process of this was like for her, how that has impacted her life and her suggestions as a licensed therapist on how to deal with grief and loss. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stroke of Insight. We're talking with Nicole Bush today. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us. You're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we are excited to hear more about your story And just to give our listeners a little bit of background information on how you and I met, Nicole and I were both part of the Mended Hearts Organization National Capitol Hill Virtual Day, where we actually spent some time talking with the representatives and senators in our great state of Illinois on all sorts of topics and issues related to congenital heart disease. Now, Nicole, I know I was included in on that because I do work for Young Mended Hearts. How did you hear about the Mended Hearts organization and get connected with the virtual Capitol Hill Day? That's a great question. I actually... I'm not entirely sure, but I had signed up for different things to get information about any sort of opportunities to advocate or share my story. And so I was sent some emails about Advocacy Day, and then I signed up for as many as I could. Okay, yes, because there was a lot of different, I want to say, kind of breakout groups to go into. And it was great because they had everything all ready for us. We had information. We knew who was in support of which act, which ones we still needed to support. So that was really great. I thought it was a very well put together event. I would definitely do it again. Absolutely. I agree. So now you are in Southern Illinois, correct, Nicole? Um, yeah, I'm actually kind of in Central Illinois. So I'm about two and a half hours south of Chicago. Okay. I think that's right. You were in between me and my mother-in-law who is in Southern Illinois. That's right. Cause she's yes. south. <laughs> awesome. So tell us a little bit about number one, what you do every day, because we know aside from us having congenital heart disease, we are real people with real families and real jobs, but tell us a little bit about what you do on a daily basis. Yeah, I would love to. So I have the gift of being a therapist. Um, I specialize with working with people that have eating disorders. And I have done that for about six years. And that is kind of my job. And I love it a lot. I also do some outreach for my job. So kind of connecting with other clinicians in Central Illinois or outside of Central Illinois to help connect clients to services. 
Um, so that's what I do for work and I love it. It really is fulfilling to work with people and to have that therapeutic relationship. And then I have, um, I've actually created a YouTube channel called Heart Disease Diaries. It's very new, um, but I really want to just share things that I've learned throughout my illnesses with other people that have chronic illnesses. Um, yep. So that's something that I, yeah. And then I've volunteered um, in my community, but really came to a halt when COVID started. Um, mm -hmm. So, but prior to COVID, I was working for, um, it was called Powerful Hearts in my community. And every six weeks, I would co-facilitate a heart disease support group. And the philosophy of was um, to be led by people that have heart disease to share that you can still le lead a full productive life in spite of heart disease. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I loved that a lot. And I also visited with some heart patients too, who were kind of just out of surgery in the ICU. And I, I loved that. But unfortunately, that came to a halt, like I said, after COVID, just to be extra cautious. Yes. Tell us a little bit more about Heart Disease Diaries, because I know we talked about putting this particular podcast on your YouTube channel. Tell us a little bit about that before we dive into your congenital heart disease story, Nicole. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate that a lot. So it's it's a very new channel, but the goal is Kind of, kind of go off of that volunteering that I did, but to show that you can lead a full productive life with a chronic illness, specifically heart disease and stroke. And I've had so many different experiences with heart disease that I have learned so much. Um, and so I really wanted to create a channel that not only talks about the physical side of recovery and living with something, but I'm very interested as a mental health provider and therapist on how to kind of merge that world of mental health. So the YouTube channel is really just kind of about me sharing my experiences, but more than that, just kind of going over how to live the, the best quality of life possible with a chronic illness and all the setbacks and the loneliness and the frustration that it involves. So I hope that it can be sort of this community for people that have chronic illness you know, where they can, you know, hear about somebody else who has similar experiences and kind of ways to cope with that. And of course, you know, I love and support that because that's exactly what my hopes are for this podcast. And it's truly amazing that people like us that have had these real life stories with congenital heart disease and stroke, you never think that you're going to be doing something like this, but it just goes to show you how much of an impact those experiences are that they make us want to spread the word, educate others and advocate for those of us who have CHD. Because like you said, it's lifelong. It's not something that's going away. It's always going to be part of us, but we've learned how to either A, manage it or B, have our procedures. But we still have to go for our checkups. We still have to do all of those thorough tasks to ensure that we're living an optimal, healthy life. Now, tell us a little bit about your experience with stroke and CHD, because I know you have a very strong, in-depth story that kind of is continuing as well. Yes, thank you. And I want to say too, Natalie, when I met you, you know, you're so beautiful and you have this oh. like vibrant energy. <laughs> so when I... 
Yeah. When I found out that you were a stroke survivor, I was like, wow, because I, I don't know about you, but I rarely meet people, even in the CHD world, I rarely meet people that have had strokes. So mm-hmm. it's, it's very exciting. Um, but yeah, so I can definitely hear how I got to this kind of juncture. Um, basically, I was they think I was born with a hole in my heart, but unfortunately they didn't detect it until Mm -hmm. I was seven. And by that point, the hole in my heart was the size of a quarter. So they kind of had to do this almost emergency surgery. First, they weren't sure my heart was strong enough. So they did a heart cath. um, But then, you know, the heart cath went okay. So had open heart surgery to close that hole in my heart. And then they also repaired my mitral valve because I had an premium atrial septum defect. Um, Basically, that mitral valve was diseased and they repaired it. And so at 19, I had to have it repaired again. And then I had to have it replaced when I was 21 with a tissue valve. That tissue valve failed and I had a stroke with it. So now titanium valve, which was um, replaced when I was, or in 2015. Mm -hmm. And in 2020, um, I went in an aspirin, but I still had three small strokes. And then in 2021, I had three small strokes again. So it was very scary because I have been on Coumadin and aspirin. I was getting my INR drawn every other week through my vein to have the most accurate, you know, number to make sure yes. in our range. And I understand was- that, Nicole, not to interrupt you because yeah, that's okay. That's exactly what I had to do. And when I tell people that, they're like, wait, you know, Coumadin, that's just a simple like finger prick test. And I'm like, well, no, right. not when you can't get accurate results. Exactly. <laughs> it's not that easy. <laughs> Exactly. It's not. And I mean, it's like full blood draws. I remember both arms. It was for like six weeks. And, you know, here you think, okay, I'm going to be on this Coumadin and it's going to do its job. And I'm only going to have to have a little prick in the finger. It's for, but for some of us, you know, it's not that easy. And it's when you explain it, I don't understand. I don't really think all the time people understand the the depth of that struggle mentally because you're tired, right. you're physically tired you know, I cringe at the sight of my blood being taken to this day I now, but, right. And they look at you and they're like, do you have an issue with needles? I'm like, well, we don't have enough time for me to really explain this to you. But, <laughs> yeah, I kind of do. <laughs> but exactly. anyway, go ahead, Nicole. I didn't want to interrupt you, but I was like, oh, I have to say this. <laughs> yes. No, I'm so thankful that you can relate. I mean, yeah, I think people, I don't think a lot of people, especially younger people know about Coumadin or strokes or CHD, which, you know, I'm glad they don't because it's a really, it's a really challenging disease. But I think for me, made me really unsettled was the fact that I was doing everything I was told I needed to and using the only safeguard, which was Coumadin and aspirin and my numbers were actually in range on target. But I was still getting these small strokes. And one of the physicians at my local hospital, he said, I'll never forget it. It was so, he said, you could have a stroke at any moment and you just need to accept it. And I know how I could accept that. 
I, at that moment, I was like, something has to change. Mm-hmm. Um, they had thought maybe I had antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, which is a blood clotting autoimmune disorder. Actually, hmm. when I started, you know, getting the intravenous kind of um, INRs instead of the finger poke, because with APS or antiphospholipid antibody syndrome, the numbers aren't as accurate with the, with the finger stick. And I was like, I'll go every other week because I w- this is the only way I can feel safe. But then when I had the second, you know, um, clots, like group of clots or set of clots in um, December 2021, I realized I had been strict about INRs and Coumadin that, you know, something had to change. And I went to Mayo Clinic and think basically they said, I do not have an autoimmune disease. I don't have any sort of predisposition to blood clotting. And the only reason that they can surmise having these recurrent small strokes is because of this titanium mitral valve that I have. Right. And that was very scary. At the same time, I got a little bit of closure, but they said, put me on Coumadin. They kept me on Coumadin and they took away aspirin. They added Plavix. So I will have to get another by September, 2022. So in a couple months to see if there's been any more small strokes. But the the other issue is I've also had some small bleeds in my brain. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, there's been more damage, I will have to get this titanium valve removed and replaced again with a tissue valve. And I really, really just don't want that to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, heart surgery is a really big deal. But communication too, Natalie, and you can probably yeah. relate because anything that you eat or drink affects the medication. So it's very fickle. Right. Yes. I mean, they can um, never, I know for me, they could never get the vitamin K level to where it needed to be. And, right. you know, that's just a struggle. And then it was, I think I was doing shots of Lovenox in my abdomen prior oh. to being on the Coumadin, but then they had to like, for a while I had to do both of them because they wanted to wait until the Coumadin got into your system. But I think also the other thing too, is that the way you bruise, I cut my finger yeah. in the sink on a knife and that was not yeah. as simple as it would have been not on the Coumadin. It was like, no, I need right. like a whole dish towel, not just an right. napkin. Please hand me a dish towel. <laughs> and so exactly. there are a lot of just struggles other than just saying, yes, I'm on Coumadin or yes, I do shots of Lovenox. And it's, it's just mentally, I think, draining and exhausting. And, you know, they say one in eight CHD patients suffer from stress, anxiety, depression, or PTSD. And I learned a long time ago to just, you know, kind of wave the right white flag and say, yeah, that's me. It's, it just mentally has drained you in a way that changes you, right? You know, you're a little bit more anxious about things because your body is somewhat trained that way. I guess mentally you're trained because you have been so nervous about your diagnosis or about going for blood work. So, I mean, I walk into the physician's office, pure white coat syndrome. You know, they're always like, we're going to take your vitals. I'm like, well, plan to take them again at the end of this (laughs) because, you know, it's always, always high. So let's just say already, we're going to come back and do it before I leave. But I think those are just things that, you know, even just listening to you and your story and what you have to continue to prepare yourself for. I mean, how, how can we not be, 
nervous and anxious about that. And at the same time, also a little frustrated because you really just want to know that you have a solution that's going to stick. And something else I wanted to share in, in the same vein of, you know, the psychological toll of chronic is just, you know, the implications of having something chronic affects us, not just today, but also our future selves and family planning Mm -hmm. and, you know, finding a partner in life. And I think one of the hardest things for me that I still continue to grieve is being um, childless, not by choice. And um, so when I, you know, was 21 and I got that first mitral valve replacement with a tissue valve, Mm-hmm. I chose the tissue valve so that I could carry children one day. But that tissue valve, unfortunately, you know, it failed very quickly after four years. I had horrific post-op complications. And then I actually had an ischemic stroke with it. That was the first stroke I ever had. So when I had to get my titanium mitral valve replaced with it, or when I had to get my mitral valve replaced with a titanium valve, I just really started to accept that pregnancy you know, which is not in my future anymore. And that has been really hard, especially the older that I get, you know, I'm 33 now and under normal circumstances, I think I would have absolutely became a mother um, or I would want to now. And so that's something that I had not prepared myself for. And I don't think anyone's able to prepare themselves for, but losses like that, I think are, are the heaviest things that we carry as stroke survivors or people living with something chronic. And that pain is something that I, I don't ever want anyone to feel alone with. And mm-hmm. so I just think that having some sort of community or people that understand the language of illness is, is really important because those losses affect us. Like I said, not only today, but in our future. Right. And that's what I love too, about how, we connected. And then just knowing that even though you're in central Illinois and I'm closer to Chicago, that we have that connection through Young Mended Hearts. And, you know, hopefully next month we'll be getting our first virtual meeting together, but it's more than just being able to bring our bravery bags into Rush Children's, right? It's about having that community of support, not only for us providing that to other patients, but also for us to have that with one another. And that's what I love about us meeting one another is that we continue to need that support. And, you know, you just brought up a great topic, Nicole, that I know for me personally, I didn't have to deal with, right? They didn't Mm. realize what I had until after I had my second child. And that was scary enough because I probably had, as we know with postpartum women, more blood volume in our system. So that's why they think Mm. the clot originated in the heart and went to the left side of my brain that controlled the speech and language and the feeling in the right side of your body. And so being postpartum is really what helped me discover what I had had for 29 years that no one ever realized. It just went undiagnosed. And so thinking about the fact that I went on to have another child and then, you know, I hear your story and you know, we just, we feel blessed for what we have, but also knowing that when the time is right, you know, Nicole, God can put all sorts of blessings in our path. And there are ways in which 
you can be a mother, right, without actually giving birth. And even though that may not be something that's happening right now, I'm just a, such a firm believer that you just never know what God's plans are for you. And you're taking care of you first right now because that is what's important. But knowing that there's so many other blessings out there that are probably planned and coming your way. Absolutely. I'm getting, oh, I'm getting emotional. Thank you, Natalie. That was so, so beautiful. So well said. And I, I totally agree with you. I really do. I think, I think about even the last year and where God has brought me like this really dark, scary place. And I, I really believe he was with me when I was at Mayo Clinic and giving me those answers. And I, while I was really sad about things like I have a sense of peace now. Like, you know what? God's got me. There is a bigger plan here. And I just need to be patient. You know, I think one thing that's so helpful when we talk about navigating heart disease or strokes or anything chronic and our mental health at the same time is I've learned really to stop comparing myself to other people. Mm -hmm. We are all on our different trajectory. And thank God for that. You know, and there's, there's reasons why I'm on a different trajectory than my friends. There's reasons why I don't have children. And like you said, I have to put that health first and who knows what's going to happen. But I think it's important for us to not compare ourselves to other people and to really just be present with where we're at and try to make the most of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things too, that, You know, you're one of the examples I use in terms of competing in pageantry because nobody knows these stories. You're not walking around the world just, you know, shouting out your story at every street corner, right? You're not, unless someone's asking you about this, which they're not going to know to ask you if we aren't sharing it. That's what I love about have turned to this back into the sport of pageantry and what I hope to really share in the upcoming Mrs. International pageant that actually starts next week. (laughs) But it's these types of stories, right? If I wasn't doing what I'm doing with the sport of pageantry right now, I wouldn't have met you. You wouldn't be sharing your story. We wouldn't be possibly helping someone else right now that is going through the same thing you have by your story and sharing it. And maybe someone else is also feeling that loss, right? And acceptance of not being able to actually give birth to children because of this diagnosis, but how, Mm -hmm. Hey, you know what they talked about? There are other ways and maybe it is in my future. And if it is, it's going to come into my path naturally. Right. So we hope to inspire through these stories because it's not all about telling people, the hardship of what you've gone through. It's about sharing the other side of the rainbow and what that looks like and how you can be living with CHD with chronic strokes, right? And still have the availability to share your story, make an impact and give others hope in the process. Absolutely. Well, before we close today, Nicole, what else would you like to leave our listeners with? Um, that's a great question. I think, oh, there's so many things. Um, well, one 
as you were talking, I wanted to just share that I um, think that grieving is very important. And it's kind of um, this contradictory thing in the sense that, you know, sometimes I think when we grieve, we're worried it will not stop. But I think grief, getting through the thick of that can really help you get to acceptance, which can bring you to this place that we were talking about, that other side of the rainbow, when we do accept ourselves and love ourselves and our totality and kind of move forward. Um, And I also think that sharing our story and being vulnerable helps show us that even though we may feel very different from other people, there's also a lot more that connects us and makes us similar. When Mm -hmm. I was um, grieving kind of, you know, being childless, I discovered this group for women that were infertile. And I was just so focused on my situation that I didn't even realize there's a whole group of women that struggle with this for different reasons. And they welcomed me into that group with open arms, like it was a virtual thing. And I got emails, but I was just so thankful for that. So I think when we're vulnerable and share pieces of ourselves, we'll be very surprised to know that other people, you know, have similar experiences to us. Um, But I think also it's important to not live inside the grief to make, you know, that choice every day to be intentional about taking care of yourself, to be intentional about telling the people in your life that you love them and to show up for work, to show up for yourself and do all that you can. I think, I think a a lot that I have such a good quality of life, especially as a stroke survivor, and I do not take that for granted. So I just am so thankful that we got connected, Natalie, and I'm thankful for your journey and how fierce you are, how beautiful you are, and how you're helping other people. So thank you again for having me on the on the podcast. Well, I will say you have said some very kind things during this time about me, Nicole, and I thank you. I think that I'm just trying to follow the path, right? Just trying to follow yeah. the path, fulfill my why. And you and I are both stroke survivors. And I think it's just so important that we continue to use our voices for those people that can't. I've met some people that are stroke survivors, but don't have the ability to walk without a cane or a wheelchair, or don't have the ability to have a simple conversation like you and I are having. Every word is challenging, but it's also a celebration and a victory when it comes out. And so I just think it's so important we remember that our experiences have made us who we are. And now you and I are trying to do good through those experiences and to continue to educate and advocate and inspire others because that's really all we can do by sharing our stories. And not everyone I know is comfortable sharing their story, but Being able to get the courage to share your story and realize that this doesn't make us any different. I remember just thinking there's such a stigma with people that have had stroke. And I'm afraid that if I tell people that I'm a stroke survivor or that I have two devices in my heart, they're going to constantly think there's something wrong with me. You have to get over that. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard. That part is really hard. But I'm blessed to have connected with people like you because I think about the impact we made with our virtual advocacy day this year with the Mended Hearts organization and the Adult Congenital Heart Association, that partnership that made that day happen and all of the amazing things we're going to do next year. So I'm already looking forward to working with you again on that. And I'm just so grateful that you were open to sharing your story with us today. 
Yes. Thank you so much, Natalie. I really appreciate it. Well, we thank Nicole for being with us today. And we also thank everyone who has taken their time out to listen to this episode of Stroke of Insight. We hope you have an amazing day. Thank you for listening today. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channel. And we appreciate you taking the time to like, follow, and share the podcast so others can share their stroke of insight.